Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. When they had sent unto the house of God, Sherezer and Regime Melech and their men to pray before the Lord and to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets, saying, Should I weep in this fifth month, separating myself as I have done these many years? Zechariah chapter 7 verses 2 and 3. There is a very sobering message in chapter 7 of the book of Zechariah. The whole book, of course, is prophetic. But at this point in the narrative, Israel for many years had been facing imminent judgment. The writing was on the wall. The prophets were sounding the alarm. Some among them prayed and fasted year after year that the judgment might be averted. Yet there they were, standing on the brink of it. Israel was falling. It was here. What should they do now? Does it even pay to continue to pray and to fast? Two men were sent to ask. And this was the Lord's response. In the same passage in chapter 7, picking up in verse 4, it says, Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land, and to the priest, saying, When ye fast and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? And when ye did eat, and when ye did drink, did you not eat for yourselves, and drink for yourselves? In these words, God begins to point out to them the selfishness of the motive of their prayer and fasting. It was not out of remorse for sin. It was not out of compassion for the broken heart of God, or the consequences that their actions were going to bring on others. It was not out of reverence for God's presence, as was the case with David's repentance. David's heart was broken when he realized that he had broken God's. No, their fast was to simply plead with God to change his judgment, like Saul's repentance was. When David repented, he asked God to change him accepting that he was wrong and was the problem. Saul, on the other hand, asked God to change his judgment, not being remorseful that he was losing the Holy Spirit as much as he was remorseful that he was losing the favor of it. His concern was more on the blessings of God than on the heart of God. Israel as a whole had done the same in the face of this approaching judgment. They had fasted and prayed for God to change it, but had not fasted and prayed for God to change them. Picking up in verse 7, it says, Should you not have heard the words that the Lord cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited 
and in prosperity. And the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain. When the word of the Lord came unto you through Zechariah the prophet, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. And he said, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother, and oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. Yes, God responded. He decrees that their fasting and petitions to him to remove the punishment for sin were pointless. All they had to do was to listen to him in the first place. He had sent his prophets with his words and instructions, but they would not submit to them. Instead, they prayed and fasted, asking God to submit to their will instead of humbling to his. They were selfish, arrogant, compassionless. They thought they knew better than what God had spoken through his humble servants. They thought that in the multitude of their services and words and actions, they could change what was coming. When really they were the ones that needed to be changed from the beginning to humble to the word of God in true, broken, heartfelt, sorrowful repentance. No, all the prayer and fasting for God to change his judgments wouldn't save them. All of their efforts in the physical, the political, the military, their defenses or their performances that had in them a form of godliness about it, but denied the real power of God to change hearts and lives, to empower one to walk in the righteousness of God to the benefit of everyone around them. Because that would have been real revival. But they got so distracted trying to stop the judgment that they stopped preaching God's simple instructions and calling men to repent and realign with them when that alone would have saved them. Because you see, it's not begging and pleading and whining and crying to remove consequences that changes God's mind. Repentance. True remorse over your self willedness. Turning away from the thing that is bringing the judgment in the first place. It is not enough to say, Oh, we're sorry that there is sin. Don't judge us for it. But one must say, I am sorry that I sinned. I see the wisdom in you calling me away from it. I should never have strayed in the first place. It hurt your heart and others too. Lord, forgive us 
We will abandon this wickedness and tell others to do the same from a place of broken compassion. This change would have stopped the judgment from happening. But they didn't. Back to the passage, picking up in verse 11, it says, But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. In this do we see one of the saddest and most fearful passages in all of Scripture. As we continue in verse 13 when the Lord says, Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried and they would not hear, so they cried and he would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. But I stretched them as a whirlwind, he says, among all the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, that no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. My friend, I tell you this, that it is pride that thinks that the tide of judgment can be stopped by anything other than repentance. And pride will be punished. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5 tells us this, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination unto the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Scripture is clear, my friend, that no pride goes unpunished. It doesn't matter how many people agree with it. So I implore you today as we stand in the same place as the children of Israel did in this passage, that you break agreement with pride and humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, even if you have to stand alone to do it. Because it will be better to be found standing on Jesus' side with the few when judgment comes, then against him with the many, the wicked, the prideful, and rebellious. Yes, God is patient, or he does not desire judgment. That's why he gives us so much space for repentance. Yet most will take that undeserved gift for granted and heap upon themselves an even greater judgment for doing it. God has shown to us far more mercy than we deserve. Yet does that day finally come like a thief in the night when the spiritually blinded least expect it just like it did for Israel in that passage? It's happened before and it'll happen again because we read it all through scripture, Old Testament and New, that God is no respecter of persons. So are you ready for what's coming? Are you ready for judgment? Are you ready 
for a humbling because no pride goes unpunished. For the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but rather he is long-suffering towards us, not being willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Nevertheless, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burnt up. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. O Lord, forgive us our pride, rebellion, selfishness, a lack of love for you, and compassion for the brethren. So, Lord, as we stand here on the brink of a great divide, because the Bible tells us very clearly that you set up kings and you remove them, some will rise and some will fall. And which side of that line we are on depends on our choice to align with humility or with pride, with selfishness or with selflessness, with the words and teachings of Jesus or with those of the culture, world systems and antichrist spirit. So today, Lord, we repent of all pride, of arrogance, of believing the lies of the false prophets who prophesied unto us smooth things and deceits. If there any that be guilty, let us bring it before the king in humble repentance and say, Lord, I'm not looking for you to change everything around me. I'm asking you to change me to make me more like my king, more humble, more compassionate, more loving, more selfless, more sacrificial, more patient, more single-minded, focused on the mission and commission that we've been given and not so distracted by entertainment and promises of attention, materialism, and physical gain. Because we know the word of God says it very plainly that there are those among you who will teach you that gain is godliness from such turn away. It says to flee from them that teach these things or put these thoughts into your spirit. Remember that it was this very thing, this spirit of materialism that had the heart of the rich young ruler that caused him to walk away from Jesus when he offered him a place amongst his remnant. Oh Lord, let us not assume to know everything. But let us come to you daily and seek to be instructed in righteousness. Because we will see great and mighty victories wrought by those little no-name Davids that have been praying and obedient to tend to their father's sheep in unknown places. But we're also going to see a lot of Saul's fall in the coming days. Because as we draw to the end of this dispensation of grace... Everything that you're used to is going to change. But those who do know their God will be strong and do great exploits in the midst of it. Yet will the majority of those who call themselves the church will fall to false prophets, to flattery, to the promises of the enemy, who will tell them, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world, whatever you want. Just worship me. And let me tell you something, my friend, to worship Satan is not to draw pentagrams 
and recite incantations. It is simply to be selfish and serve self and follow anything other than the teachings of Jesus. Because when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he didn't have to do anything to do it except to trust Satan's way to the promise. Because it seemed easier and more pleasing than God's. He promised him all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus was going to get that anyway at the resurrection, but Satan promised it without having to go through Gethsemane to get it. So, Father, today we repent of wanting it easy, of being complacent, of changing the gospel message from a call of self-crucifixion to a plea of self-gratification. Because if it's about self and pleasing it, it is doctrines of demons. Because the message of Jesus was a message of self-crucifixion. In other words, give up your wants and your desires to put God first and others second and yourself last. And watch God do the miraculous. He will find a way to do what is best for everyone, including you. He will produce good fruit. But if you think you know best, if you think that prioritizing your own pleasure and wants, your positions, your attention, your titles, your ambitions will get you anything other than barrenness or worse than this bad fruit or cause you yourself to be a wolf in sheep's clothing following the leading of an antichrist spirit tempting others to come away from the narrow path to follow the broad and easy one oh my friend it's time to get back to the feet of Jesus the simple gospel obedience Faith in the teachings of Jesus, humility, and selflessness. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.